The next day, Moses sat down to judge the people, and they stood around Moses from morning until evening. When Moses' father-in-law saw everything he was doing for them, he asked, what is this thing you're doing for the people? Why are you sitting alone? Uh, why are you alone sitting as judge while all the people stand around you from morning until evening? Moses replied to his father-in-law, because the people come to me to inquire of God. Whenever they have a dispute, it comes to me, and I make a decision between one man and another. I teach them God's statutes and laws. What you're doing is not good, Moses' father-in-law said to him. You will certainly wear out both yourself and these people who are with you because the task is too heavy for you. You can't do it alone. Now, listen to me. I will give you some advice, and God be with you. You are the one to re you be, you be the one to represent the people before God and bring their cases to him. Instruct them about his, the statutes and laws and teach them the way to live and what they must do. But you should select from all the people able men, God-fearing, trustworthy, and hating dishonest prophet. Place them over the people as commanders of thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. They should judge the people at all times. Then they can bring you every major case, but judge every minor case themselves. In this way, you will lighten your load, and they will bear it with you. If you do this, and God so directs you, you will be able to endure, and also all those people will be able to go home satisfied. Moses listened to his father-in-law and did everything he said. So Moses chose able men from all Israel and made them leaders over the people as commanders of thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. They judged the people at all times. They would bring the hard cases to Moses, but they would judge every minor case themselves. Moses let his father-in-law go, and he journeyed to his own land. This is the word of the Lord. If you've been with us in prior weeks, you know we're working through a section in the book of Exodus exploring the Israelites' journey in the wilderness, a period in time where they have been freed from the oppression of living as slaves in Egypt and are beginning to be established as a people. And as they wander in the wilderness, we have looked at them encountering a variety of threats, including ways that God's people sometimes grumble and complain, how they address discontent in unhealthy ways. I mean, none of us ever do that. We've explored how they interacted with external threats, like the Amalekites, who were trying to remove the Israelites from the land. This morning, we're going to consider a new threat, the threat of disorder. And so the title of the sermon this morning is Order in the Wild. I'll, I'm going to get to our big idea in, in a moment, but first, let's take a moment to enter the scene. At this point in the narrative, as the Israelites wander in the wilderness, it seems little national structure and few religious systems have been established. It's possibly the dream of a libertarian or someone who longs to live in the Wild West. But in this case, the people of God, they're experiencing strife and struggle. They are about to receive the counsel of a seasoned leader about the importance of systems and structures. So if you have a Bible or Bible app, 
Go ahead and open it up to Exodus chapter 18, verses 13 through 27. We're going to explore that passage as the people of God move from a state of relative disorder to a state of greater order as they experience order in the wild. And we'll talk about some of the challenges and problems we have with order and structure along the way. Now, now to better understand some of the disorder in this passage, let's place ourselves in the scene of what is taking place. Uh, Imagine you have a a dispute with someone that is common for this time frame. Maybe someone has used your oxen and returned it with some sort of defect that you believe was not there previously. Uh, Maybe the parents of the groom that married your daughter Maybe they haven't paid the agreed-upon price for the privilege to take her hand in marriage. Maybe someone seemed to have more than their fair share of manna, while you mysteriously had less. Maybe they experienced something like we're experiencing with our neighbor today at the Gardner house. Our new puppy, we're, we're training her. She tends to make little messes in the neighbor's yard. Can you imagine all this livestock in the wilderness I'm sure they made big messes in one another's yards. Whatever the dispute is, you approach the location that you've been told this man Moses listens and determines disputes and conflict among the people. You see a line stretching on and on and on. And when you check in, when you get to the end of the line, you find there's no fast pass to purchase to show up at 2 p.m. like you can at Disney. There is no ticket that tells you what number you are in line when you might anticipate you'll get to see this man, Moses. There is not even abysmal music to provide some form of entertainment while you wait. You must stand in the desert, arm in arm with the party that you're in conflict with for hours and hours, sometimes days at a time. Now, some of you might remember waiting in lines to get into stores like Lowe's or Baker's at the beginning of the COVID-19 pandemic. It was kind of frustrating. Or or you might think of the lines you encounter at at places like Vala's Pumpkin Patch, where you stand in line to get on a cart, you propel with your legs, and you're exhausted at the end of that experience. For for me, I, I think about waiting on hold with the IRS. Uh, Many years ago, I made a significant mistake in how we claimed the adoption tax credit. I failed to claim it in the right year, and that cost us several thousand dollars. When I discovered that mistake, I waited on hold for hours on time, for days at a time, when I finally got to talk to the right person. Because I had made an error and waited too long to, to correct it, the decision was not in our favor. Can you imagine waiting in line, waiting on hold multiple days to get what is a legitimate decision or determined to be a legitimate decision, but to have that decision not fall in your favor. I won't describe the words I expressed in such a moment. I can only imagine many Israelites experienced something similar. It was wearing the people out, and it was wearing Moses out too. And so in verse 14, Jethro says to Moses, what is going on? What is this you are doing for the people? The the question is rhetorical in nature and perhaps twinged with sarcasm. The lack of order here 
the disorder and chaos, you being the only one to engage the people's disputes, that's a dumb idea. He continues, why are you alone sitting as judge while all the people stand around you from morning to, until evening? The lack of order was cultivating chaos. It was causing exhaustion. Moses was exhausted. The people were exhausted too. Moses, so Moses responds to Jethro outlining his thought process. I mean, he's got a rational thought process because even when we function with forms of disorder, it makes sense to us what we're doing. Moses says, hey, whenever the people have a dispute, it comes to me and I make a decision between one man and another. I teach them God's statutes and laws. Now, maybe this form of order, even, even some forms of disorder can be forms of order. Maybe it worked well, like for a week, maybe a day, maybe two, probably more so for like a couple of hours. Moses had not adapted structure to the significance of, of the situation. And so Jethro is about to offer a solution. He outlines a process to delegate responsibilities to others, to empower able men, to hear the disputes of the people. He says, hey, have those, have them listen to the minor disputes, and you, you focus only on the major ones. Moses should instruct the people what the law is, how to resolve disputes, how they are to walk and live and relate to one another. He's offering a process to bring order into disorder, to embrace order in the wild. Now, if you're a leader in a business organization or if you functioned as a leader in the church or read books about leadership or systems and structures, you might be familiar with something called the Jethro Principle. It goes something like this. No one person is able to do everything. The, the wise person understands he or she ha, has limits. The wise person understands he or she must identify others who are teachable with good character that can share the load. The wise person must rely on others to complete specific tasks and responsibilities. This Jethro principle, it is so fascinating and helpful. So one way to preach this text is to explore leadership and administrative principles, to think about how to delegate to others, how to form individuals to carry key responsibilities, how to embrace your limits and your humanity. We could talk about Jethro's courage to offer correction or the benefits Moses experienced as a leader being critiqued and challenged. So many lessons. I might title that sermon, Pastor Paul's Perspective on Principles of Leadership. Yeah. Although it wouldn't be Pastor Paul's perspective, it would be principles rooted in Jethro's counsel to Moses. The, the pragmatic structure, it is certainly beneficial to leaders in ministry or leaders in the marketplace or leaders in the home. You can't do everything. You need, you need to delegate responsibilities. You need to teach others. You need to recognize how you doing everything, it actually creates disorder. And it produces challenge and chaos for others and for you. A self-centered perspective or a, a kind of a savior complex when it comes to getting things done, that you're the only one who can do those things like Moses is doing here, it only leads to exhaustion and burnout. Some of you present this morning, that may be a key takeaway. 
You think you need to be the sole person everyone relies on, and you are exhausting yourself, and you are exhausting others. You need to ask for help. How can you say no to everything you're doing to better serve others and to better care for yourself? Pastor Paul's perspective on principles of leadership would point that out. You're welcome. So so those with gifts of administration or have served in leadership roles encountering this chapter, like you probably get excited. When some of you heard the trajectory of this sermon bringing order into disorder, you perhaps got way too emotional. You, You may need to rethink how you relate to order. Others of you, you wonder... Hey, what what is a management manual doing in the middle of the book of Exodus? The text here, it comes at a unique point in the Exodus narrative. The first section of Exodus is the story of God liberating his people from oppression and slavery in the land of Egypt. The second section is the story of God's people wandering in the wilderness, what we have been considering in recent weeks. The third section where we're headed will be the story of how the Israelites begin to function as a new nation. One with order and structure, submitting to the Ten Commandments, building a tabernacle where a sense of order is established in how God's people relate to him and to one another. Exodus 18, the the text we're engaging this morning, it serves as a bit of a pivot point. It is ending this period of wandering in the wild And it is looking to the establishment of order, submitting to the law and the formation of practices as a new nation. This text is teaching us how God's people embracing order, it can be a gift from God leading to the flourishing of his people. That's actually the big idea we'll explore more of as we continue. Embracing wise forms of order glorifies God and leads his people to flourish. Now, I want to be careful here. Embracing order is not the goal. Moses had embraced a form of order, but it was unwise considering the situation. When you observe my home or observe my office, you're going to see piles of papers all over. And you know I've embraced a form of order, but it is an unwise form of order. That probably led to errors that cost us lots of money with the IRS. Pharaoh had embraced a form of order too. It resulted in the oppression of a particular people group. That form of order was evil. Some of you have embraced forms of order to better control, to be as self-sufficient as possible. Those may be forms of order that are not wise as well. Here's the other thing. I don't want to over-moralize embracing particular forms of order. The the form of leadership Jethro is prescribing, it is not binding for God's people everywhere and anywhere. That's why we don't have the exact leadership structure at First City. So the order order that Moses is offering is not a moral absolute, but, but the principles are helpful wisdom. Order comes in various forms. Right? The order of a piece of art is certainly different than the order you embrace in how you manage your home or your budget. Embracing a form of order is not a moral decision. It's not often a moral decision, but it is often a decision rooted in wisdom. 
when Jethro approach, approaches Moses, could you imagine him saying, you know, this, this way of me listening to everyone's disputes, that form of order I've embraced, it is way better. It's working really well. Rejecting wise forms of order may not be sinful, but when we settle for disorder, when we choose not to listen to the wise counsel of seasoned leaders, it can be problematic and distracting. Being foolish is not necessarily sin. Like I can spend way too, money, too much money going out to eat. It's not necessarily sinful, but it is foolish. Embracing wise forms of order glorifies God and leads to the flourishing of his people. You see, when, when Jethro encounters this long line of people, when he sees how frustrated and exhausted they are and how frail and frantic Moses is, he says in verse 17, what you're doing here is not good. The, the form of order you have embraced, which in reality is a form of disorder, the, the chaos that is taking place, it is not good. The, the Hebrew word for good here is tov. Jethro says what you're doing is not tov. That language, not tov, it, it connects back to the book of Genesis, back to the ordering of creation. Let's actually turn there for a moment to the very first chapter, the second verse. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness covered the surface of the watery depths, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. Then God said, let there be light, and there was light. God saw that the light was good and separated the light from darkness. The earth being described as formless and empty. Darkness covering the surface of the watery depths. It's describing disorder. Light brings order in to, to disorder. In each successive day of creation, when God created light, when God separated the sky and the sea, when God made land, when God made the plants and animals, when God made man and woman, the language the text uses, God saw that it was good. Seven times in Genesis 1, the text indicates the ordering of creation was good or tov. God's people were rooted in the creator, a divine being that brings order into disorder. Because of the order God established, Adam and Eve, they experienced calm and peace as they related to God, to one another, and the rest of creation. But when sin entered the world, the order that man and woman experienced with God, with one another, and with the rest of creation, it unraveled. They experienced more chaos and conflict and disorder and dysfunction. And so the brokenness, the disorder that you and I experience, what, what Steve was talking about earlier during the call to worship, that, that, that state as we relate to God, to one another, and the rest of creation, it makes sense. As the Israelites were established as a people set apart, it, it, it would make sense that they would grow at reflecting how God brings order into disorder how the structures and systems God establishes returns order to how God's people relate to God, relate to one another, and the rest of creation. But God doesn't just use light or the ordering of creation to bring order. Sometimes he uses pragmatic structures, like elders in a church, deacons, gospel community leaders, the words of a faithful father-in-law. 
My son-in-law should keep that in mind. (laughs) Jethro's words to Moses here, Jethro's words to Moses here, the lack of order you have embraced, what you are doing is not tov, is essentially what you're doing is not of God. You are not bringing order into disorder. Instead, you are cultivating chaos and confusion. That's, That's a problem. Embracing wise forms of order, it glorifies God as it reflects his character and his goodness. Now, how does it lead his people to flourish? In verse 18, Jethro says, hey, if you don't reject current forms of disorder, you will certainly wear out both yourself and these people who are with you because the task is too heavy for you. You can't do it alone. After explaining principles of delegating tasks, bringing order into disorder, Jethro says, in this way you will lighten your load and they will bear it with you. If you do this and God so directs you, you will be able to endure and also all these people will be able to go home satisfied. That word being translated satisfied is a word that many of you may recognize, shalom. It's usually translated peace. It's a great word to contrast what God's people may experience waiting in line. Frustration and friction. Or the disorder and chaos communicated in Genesis 1. Instead, when people encounter wise forms of order, they experience peace and calm, quiet and tranquility. Embracing wise forms of order. Better cares for people. This means the purpose of wise forms of order are not for you to gain more order or to be more fulfilled or to get a structure that is most efficient, that saves the most time or what will make people most productive. Those may be byproducts, but they are not the end goal. Wise forms of order are embraced to better care for people to bring about a sense of peace and calm. I spent a couple days working in a healthcare management, and I worked within an organization employing 1,500 or so people. I've engaged with how the federal government reimburses healthcare services. Structures of order do not always lead to caring for people. They can be more about embracing values of efficiency and productivity, more about increasing profits and the pocketbooks of particular people at the top. Order is established for the benefit of leaders, not so much for the benefit of the people. That's not the type of order God's people are to embrace. Embracing wise forms of order glorifies God and leads his people to flourish. So Moses listens and Moses acts. Moses listened to his father-in-law and did everything he said. So Moses chose able men from all Israel and made them leaders over the people as commanders of thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. They judged the people at all times. They would bring the hard cases to Moses, but they would judge every minor case themselves. So Moses and the people take the practical advice and they apply it personally. Okay, so the purpose of this sermon is not to offer you a management manual. But I do want us to wrestle with the practical and the personal. Are there ways you would benefit from embracing wise forms of order in your life? 
Some of you had committed to new habits, reading a new book every month, reading through the Bible in a year, committing to church membership, committing to a budget, only engaging in drinking alcohol in certain contexts. Those are introducing wise forms of order into your life. Those are not moral decisions, but decisions rooted in wisdom that serve to glorify God and lead his people, including you, to flourish. That's good. That's tov. To embrace wise forms of order, you and others may benefit from committing to one of these practices. You might also think about making some hard decisions. Maybe you're at a point in life where the career you have chosen or a a second job you are working, it's creating disorder. Or the hobbies, maybe the hobbies you have chosen are, are creating disorder as well. Maybe for the sake of caring for yourself and caring for others, you need to consider surrendering such things. Some of you may want to think about saying no to busyness. All the youth sports or school activities your kids are involved in. Some of you may want to commit to practices of health and wellness. Working out, journaling, reading regularly. Further, as we think about wise forms of order that glorify God and bless others, we need to think beyond self to our neighborhood or our church or our city. How could you raise your hand to be someone to bring more order to these contexts. How might you consider applying this text personally and practically? Now, for some of you, that's easier said than done. Because that word order, this thought of submitting to order in a church or in an organization, the thought of cultivating greater order in your home, it's it's something that you're ready to embrace. For others of you, those thoughts produce forms of fear and frustration. There's an anxiety that, that surfaces. So as I conclude, I, I want to I briefly speak to three groups of people. First group, participating in structures of order means submitting to leadership structures in an organization or in the church or in the home. Order sometimes harms people. Far too many have been hurt by people in positions of power and leadership. Rather than to shepherd God's people, some men have used a passage like this to justify abusive structures of leadership. Women can, use, can abuse leadership positions too. Telling others to submit to order, it can be manipulated by a leader to prop up self to protect a position of power, to take advantage of people rather than to care for people. This is a distorted form of order straight from the pit of hell. The story of Exodus is the story of a people who were liberated and set free from oppressive and abusive leadership. It is a good story to be mindful of as we work towards healing and wholeness. Here's author and counselor Chuck DeGroat. We've got to take the pain seriously. And this story, among many other biblical ones, offers us hope that our cries are heard and held. Of course, for the Israelites and for us, there is no quick fix. 
No speedy path through a dark wilderness. God offers hope for a day in the distant future, stirring longing and an imagination for a more spacious place of peace and flourishing, a place of shalom. The Israelites were not liberated to be set free from order and structure altogether, but to surrender and to participate and to submit to wise forms of order that glorify God and lead his people to flourish. The story of Jesus is the story of a man who liberated you and I from oppressive leaders who used spiritual authority. Those those oppressive leaders used spiritual authority to serve self rather than serve others. Philippians 2, 8 through 11 says, He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death even death on a cross. For this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. When Jesus humbled himself to the point of death, he experienced the misuse and abuse of authority. He took on ways that you and I have experienced the harmful leadership of others. Not that we would be free from leadership structure altogether, but to experience a reordering of our lives. If you're someone who has been harmed by people in positions of power, who have misused or abused that power, I want to tell you, I'm sorry. I want to tell you, that's not God bringing disorder into disorder. It's demonic. But but hear me say, our response to being hurt by structures of order or leaders in the home or in the church cannot be to reject order altogether. We want to help you heal those wounds that are not physical in nature, but spiritual and emotional and mental. We want to talk to you, and we want to pray with you, and so come find us. Second group. Well, let me, let me speak to those of you that are, in some ways, too content with disorder. I, I put myself in this camp. This theme of order, it is not actually easy for me. I grew up in the 90s when grunge music was popular. The band Nirvana produced one of the greatest songs of all time, Smells Like Teen Spirit. With the lights out, it's less dangerous. Here we are now, entertain us. I feel stupid and contagious here we are now, entertain us, a mulatto, an albino, a mosquito, my bolito. Those lyrics do not long for order, but for disorder. There is, there is greater safety in darkness. There is something about those lyrics I like. I mean, I have piles all over my house, like I said. I'm a bit of a hoarder. There is a level of disorder that I'm simply content with. Some of you know there are changes you should make to how you manage your finances how you spend your time as a family, how you engage rhythms of work and rest. And your path to embrace that change is to expect expect that all of a sudden, everything's going to be different. Magically, you'll have it all together. The reality is, you and I choose to embrace forms of disorder. Because the cost of whatever time and energy it would take to develop systems of order, we're not willing to pay. You prefer the short-term gain over what could be gained over the long, the long term. To best serve the people and to better care for himself, Moses needed to dedicate time and energy to developing wise forms 
of order, to identify able men, to teach able men, to, to determine how to delegate to able men. That, that meant that the line had to wait for a season. Things had to get a little messier before things got better. You can only imagine how frustrated those people at the front of the line were. Too many of us, we don't want to dedicate time to making things better. The thought of things getting messier before things start to improve, it's overwhelming. Identifying what needs to be different and actually developing structures to make that happen, that takes resources. That the long-term gain, embracing order to glorify God, to be a part of the, the flourishing of those people, we can sometimes lose sight of it. But it's there. And we need to, to step into it. Lastly, let me talk to the person who feels their life is ruled by chaos and disorder. Perhaps because of the presence of past sin or present sin or a level of brokenness you encounter when you wake up each morning to confront the challenges of the day. I was talking to an old friend this past week. He was saying, he was saying to me, Paul, I got to tell you about a conversation you and I had. It was probably a decade ago. I was believing that my life was defined by my flaws and my failures. My marriage, my relationship with my kids, my relationship with friends, within the church. I wanted to be a blessing to others. We were talking about that, and I said, my hands are far too messy. There's too much chaos that, that I've encountered and, and, and caused. And you looked at me and you said something to the effect of, that mess does not define you. God cleans up messes. He can clean up your mess too. That was years ago. And my, my friend, his life today, it is not free from mess but by a long shot. But it is radically different. The Holy Spirit has given him new desires and new longings and a new orientation. And that has produced something different in his life. He is leading others to experience freedom from oppression. He is helping others experience renewal in, his, in their marriages. This is the kind of work God does, bringing order into disorder. The, the Apostle Paul says this in the book of Philippians, I am sure of this, that he who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. I'll tell that story not to take any credit for any of my role. I give God the glory for that kind of story because God is in the business of bringing order into disorder in the lives of broken sinners like you and I. Some of you probably feel like your life is very disordered. If you're here this morning and you think your life is far too chaotic, far too messy, this is what God does. God is in the business of reordering the lives of broken sinners like you and I. He is faithful to do it and to complete it. He brings order into the wild, order into disorder. That's good news. May we be a people who embrace order, not, not for the sake of order, but to reflect the goodness of our God and to better love and care for others. 
May, may we be a people who God is reordering our minds and our hearts, reordering how we live, how we function as a people, how we relate to others in the community, that Christ may be glorified and we may be a people. Rather than experiencing chaos and disorder, experience calm and peace. Let's pray.